Welcome to the Mission City Church Podcast. My name is Jake Eichert, and I am the Community Groups and Creative Director at Mission City Church, as well as the host of this podcast. Each week, you can find full-length sermons, five-minute sermon breakdowns, and inspiring conversations with guests about discipleship, current events, local outreach, and more. Our mission as a church is to make Jesus known, and we pray that this podcast does just that for you. If it does, please subscribe and share. But for now, please enjoy this episode of the Mission City Church Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Mission City Church Podcast Thursday edition. We're picking back up where we left off with our series titled Friends of Jesus. Last week, we talked about the relationship between Jesus and his disciples and how we can learn in that relationship how to relate to one another inside of your own church. If you are pursuing Jesus in a a Bible study or discipleship group or whatever it looks like amongst your friends, uh, how do you interact with each other? How did Jesus teach us to interact with each other? And then this week, we're going to look at uh, a little bit of a different take. Uh, how Jesus interacted with religious leaders of his day. And you might be thinking, I'm not sure that he was super friendly with them, uh, even though this comes into our series, Friends of Jesus. And we'll get into that a little bit. But I'm joined by lead pastor of Mission City Church, Russell Schultz. Hey, man, what are you doing uh, over there on your laptop? You uh, you ready to go today? You got some good thoughts? Got some, some big ideas you want to share with the crowd? Uh, well, I have the notes up. <laughs> That's... Uh... <laughs> That's key to podcasting. It's a good start. <laughs> having the notes. And then I'm also looking up some passages of scripture that are associated with what the topic we're talking about is today. So to make sure I have them handy. Excellent. For, for these uh these frenemies that we're talking about today. Yeah. Uh so I'm still trying to figure out how these are friends, but you know. Well, uh let me ask you this, maybe spin it in a different direction. Have you you've been doing ministry longer than I have? Have you ever tried to partner with another church and have them like reject you or like turn it down the opportunity to I guess to to do good uh, together? Yes. Um, do you want to? You have a, any story or any anything you want to share to elaborate <coughs> on that? Well, I mean, you were we uh, when we were student pastors at Grace, we used to do an event called the Lift Tour, which was like a fall retreat, which ah, is like yes. a for Kansas City area. Yeah, and we'd invite all these different churches in, and. Uh, I would get told no like a bit when I'd recruit people. Yeah, no, that's actually a perfect example because the Lift Tour was a really amazing event. It was done by a group that made it very financially available to a lot of people. We took on a lot of the risk and responsibility hosting it at our own building. But I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, but a common response we got back made it kind of seem like people thought we were promoting our own church through that. And they didn't want to bring their groups to something that was like promoting our church somehow, or like that, the vision of like, this is a conference that I have for students just because it's kind of, you know, happening at our location, Oh, you know, doesn't necessarily mean it's about our church that it's really not at all. Yeah, it was just more about, we had the space to do it, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's happened before. I, I mean, I've, I've said no to people before too. Sure. That's the other thing, but yeah. And I guess I'm not trying to like paint a picture of like, you know, you should, every church should always partner with every other church, regardless of circumstance or whatever. Um, but I do notice, at least in my experience, it seems like it's difficult for churches to work together with each other. And I don't really understand why that is. Uh, well, I mean, I think there's some logistical things that makes it difficult where we live for things to, I mean, I, I like just, frankly, there's some logistical things uh, an example when we were, this is still in Kansas city, but, um, we were doing this, uh, or uh, not we, but we got invited to do, uh, like this series 
like that the whole a lot of churches in Kansas City were doing that was going to have some follow up that was intentionally like to reach people in your neighborhoods or in your community, and it was just the the invite was six months out um, from when the date was. Well, uh, our sending church is a, it's a larger church, it's a mega church in Kansas City, and they're about twelve to eighteen months out like planning, and then with campuses, it just doesn't work like just there's just some straight up logistical things that just don't make make it easier so sometimes it's just easier just to stay in your lane that's one thing two there are some theological things like some churches um for the lift tour again for example there there was churches that uh uh one uh didn't come back i I believe because there was too much uh representation of women on stage and one threatened to not come back because there was too little representative representation of women on stage. And so, wow, which is, that's a little bit of like a systematic theological or like preference or tradition, but some of it's just like disagreement, loose disagreements in the church that cause it to be difficult. And then also uh, just in general, uh, maybe just the, what we were talking about, someone saying, Hey, I don't want to be a part of that. Cause it's, it, puffs you up or it brings more representation to your thing. It's more about maybe like the pride that happens of like, I, I don't want, like, I want my name to be great. It's like the whole tower of Babel thing. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to do something that puffs up the name of mission city church or grace church or whatever church it is, because I want whatever church it is to be the one that's seen as the, the one that's successful or thriving. Yeah. Well, okay. So, I mean, I don't know that you necessarily meant to do this, but like that's kind of the perfect segue into why I wanted to discuss this like church interactions with each other to start out the podcast today was because two of the things that you mentioned there, like the idea of like puffing up one church over another, like trying to promote your church over another. And two, the idea that like you have these small, like internal differences that you argue about and just like can't come to agreement upon. To me, those are some of the things that Jesus was really serious about when he talked, when he spoke to the religious leaders of his day, when he talked to them, it was, uh, one, I thought he, I, I kind of think he is pretty harsh towards them, but he's really serious about them not doing things that just elevate themselves. He wants to, you know, have a consistent message of serving one another. Uh, but then he also wants to kind of squash some of the petty disagreements because what they've done is got so focused on these things that matter little and they've missed out on what matters much in Jesus's uh, terminology. And so uh, I wanted to, I'm glad that we got that kind of got the ball rolling there. I do think that, you know, in general, if you are a church leader of some kind, like I, I don't know, man, I, I don't think that necessarily, I don't think that necessarily we have to make this big push for every church to work together. But I do think in general, there's a part of me that really feels like we kind of miss out um, because more churches don't work together with each other. Uh, and I know that there are like networks and things like that. And we've been to a plenty of those meetings and I always feel uncomfortable and I don't want to talk to people from other churches and everything. So I'm part of the problem. I understand I say the guy that didn't want to go to the network meetings. Yes, I get it. I'm part of the problem. I, I just I, like, I think that it's a, I think there's a reason maybe, I don't know. I think there's a reason that maybe the enemy doesn't want us to do that. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm over spiritualizing that, but uh, I do think that it's important that we find ways to find common ground among, church to church yeah. If that makes sense. Uh, I mean, I do think I, I've traveling around the world. Um, you know, I like, we were just in Brazil 
and I got to meet some of the pastors that were in the one of the city that we take a pastor from to this other city that we're trying to start a church in. And they talked about how they all do something all together. I'm sure there might be some church left out, but talking about just how, you know, these seven or eight denominations all partner together um, at the same time, like to reach their city. And that's, that's a, that's a pretty normal thing. Now it could be maybe resources are are a little bit more scarce there. And so that's maybe it's not a necessity that they have to do that. But I think sometimes because we can be mutually independent, um, or we have enough resources, like it's, and sometimes it's just, it's, it's too much work to just invite someone else to be a part of it. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying, yeah, that's just, I've thought that before. Um, we used to do summer camps and we invited a church to do it with us. It was, I think it was successful, but it's easier just to be like, yeah, we're just going to do it and you can come or not, but it's just easier. Um, but it doesn't lean into, you know, probably Jesus's last prayer for the church that they'd be one, like that we would actually be one either, you know, like, um, so is it, it might be worth the work, you know? Right. Yeah. Okay. I think we can move on from that topic. I appreciate your thoughts and stories from there. Um, I do want to circle back to something that I, this is kind of our first question uh, or topic today. Something I mentioned earlier is like, I think Jesus, like Jesus treated the Pharisees pretty harshly. um, In my opinion, you have thoughts. I was just going to say, yeah, I'm still trying to figure out how they're friends though. (laughs) Well, sometimes friends treat those. No, I don't think that they were friends. I think he, I think he had individual religious leaders who he was friends with. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think he, he cared about them. I'm just saying like, yeah, they were kind of as a whole, it seems like some of the language he uses, it, that sounds like some harsh things. But, right. you, may, you know, you, sometimes the best friends say the harshest things, you know? Well, that's what they say. You know, the people that love you most hurt you most. So, uh, But that's a whole other podcast series. Uh, <laughs> so uh, when I say that Jesus is harsh with them, here's what comes to mind is like, I actually think, you know, as an early Christian, I felt similarly like I'd get very frustrated and I'd read Jesus's words and I'd you know I'd get this kind of angry passion boiled up inside of me to then go and be like you know um fight the religious Pharisees uh, what I perceived as the religious Pharisees of the day you know like the people that are just uh when I say that what I'm referring to is maybe like someone who just is all about you know elevating themselves what I perceived as elevating themselves uh someone who gets very concerned with like little details, things that, you know, I've going to put love God, love my neighbor on the back burner in order to promote my own knowledge, my own teachings, systematic way of thinking through things, whatever it may be. And, uh, what I've come to realize now later on is that I actually think that in some ways the Pharisees get a, a really hard time, uh, by the way that Christians look at them historically. And obviously like they were a huge player in, you know, crucifying Jesus. So they deserve some blame for sure. But also like they were people in the church. Tell me, stop you. If you've know someone like this, (laughs) who truly felt like they were doing what was right in the eyes of God. And they saw someone who was teaching a different message than what they had. And it was frustrating to them. And they didn't want people to be deceived by this other message because what they thought that what they were teaching was the way to God. And when I think of it that way, I'm like, you know what? Like how easily could I get trapped into thinking something is the way to God here? And 
a contradicting viewpoint, slander it, be upset by it, tell people not to believe it, not follow it, whatever. And then find out a few years later, I was actually wrong about that. And they were right. And I've done more damage than good by, you know, pushing back against that message. Hmm. And I think that's where we've like, where I want to start with just the Pharisees is like, one, I, I, I want to try to have, I want to try to view them through what I think Jesus did in some ways um, with a little bit of compassion and just a little bit of understanding of, I certainly, you ever, uh, let me just ask you this, Russell, you ever been um, really convinced that you were right about something theologically and then come to find out later on that like you weren't right at all? Or you might have changed your position now and you don't think you were, you were right about that anymore? Yes. I've had that happen before. I, I imagine it will keep happening. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's not like main things, but it's like just like little preferences, honestly, like little, some philosophical things, some just subtle things. Yeah. So one of the biggest ones is just actually reading the Bible, like reading the Bible in the proper, um, like the literature, literary style it's written in, like learning the nuance of that hmm. has really changed and opened up the way that I understand the scriptures. Yeah. Um, and it's made it more powerful, honestly. So for me, but which then, yeah, but that's a rabbit trail on its own. So we don't need to get into that. Yeah, no, I, I think like, so for me, I think the way that I view, um, what happens when we die, uh, the way that I view kind of what happens at the end of times, like it, when you actually go in and read it and we did a revelation series a while back, so I'm not going to rehash all that, but, um, it's really changed my thoughts on all of that. And so I guess my point in saying all that is if we go into it with a little bit of compassion to say, you know what, I've been really convinced about something theologically and I've been wrong before. Maybe I can see where the Pharisees or where the Sadducees or the religious leaders of this day also got a little off the rails and convinced themselves and they were gaining a lot from it. They had they had a lot of personal gain from the way that they were running things in the temple. Yeah, yeah, they were they were kind of not doing the best practices. There were probably some of them, like because there. I mean, honestly, there was a group of people that were trying to live as holy as possible, and so so that the Messiah would come. Like that's what they were hoping for. And I don't. I do think there is some like initial intent that is from that. That's actually very helpful, but. Um, yeah, but I do. I do think it, it got misguided, and it got. Um, it was in some ways it was humanized. It was people found ways to take advantage of or misuse something for their own gain, uh, or to elevate their own status. And that's just, you know, that's just what happens when we human pride takes over or self righteousness takes over to separate oneself to elevate oneself. Right. Okay. Now that we've uh, given them a little bit of a soft landing, let's talk about how Jesus sees them. <laughs> so uh, a couple things. One, Jesus calls them uh, at different times children of, of Satan, children of hell, that they're a brood of vipers, an evil, adulterous generation. So that's pretty harsh right off the bat. Sounds uh, nice. Yeah. But in Matthew chapter 21, 23, excuse me, Matthew chapter 23, he really goes in on them. And he has this, there's a section that, you know, most most Bibles, if you have titles in your Bible of sections, it'll say the seven woes to the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do a quick summary of just kind of how Jesus uh, looks at them and, and then kind of talk about why maybe Jesus was so harsh towards them and what we can learn from that. So number one, they put heavy burdens on others. These are the Pharisees, but they don't do anything themselves. They only do things to be seen by others. 
They fight for places of honor and best seating in the synagogues. They neither enter or allow others to enter into the kingdom of heaven. They travel across the world to find a worthy follower and then turn him into twice the child of hell that they are. (laughs) They are blind guides. They elevate gold over the temple. They elevate offerings over the altar. They tithe grand spices but neglect justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They work hard to appear good on the outside but are full of greed and self-indulgence. They are whitewashed tombs full of dead bones. They claim they would have, they would not have committed the same evil to the prophets their fathers did, but Jesus prophesies that they will do the same things with the prophets he sends. Pretty harsh accusations there. Um, friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> friends of Jesus. Right, right. Got it. Uh, but this is what they're doing. Um, they're, they're using... I want to focus on a couple things here. So, one, they're using... Uh, their status to their own advantage uh trying to make like not just elevate themselves but also like lord it over the common you know believer um they want to when when jesus says they elevate gold over the temple i thought this was really interesting he uses this this phrase where he says that you could if you swear on the temple then doesn't matter or something like that. But if you swear on the gold that you offered to the temple, then you are held to your oath. Hmm. Like they elevate the value of the, of the, the tithe or the offering over the place that it's being offered at. That's fascinating. Yeah. I guess my modern day equivalency of this would be like, do you value the things that happen inside of the church, the nuances even the things that you're supposed to do as a Christian um, over the, the, the person of Jesus and the body it, gathering together itself, you know, like I, I'm trying to think of a moder- like a, a, an example of this, but it's like, if you don't X, Y, or Z, you're not welcome here because we value that greater than you actually just like kind of coming in. And we've talked about like, you know, we, obviously it's a good thing to serve. It's a good thing to, to give. It, God calls us to these things. But like, I think Jesus is pretty clear that we don't elevate those things over the the the, the basics, right? Mercy, forgiveness, faithfulness, uh, gathering together with the believers in the temple. That's this God's place for us to meet Him, which is more important than what we, what the, like the I guess how we serve or the money that we give or whatever happens inside of that. Am I making sense there? Um, I'd like you to try to summarize all of it. Uh, don't elevate the gold over the temple. <laughs> um, no, like, uh, I'm, well, I'm just, I think I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time coming up with like a specific example for today, but um, more so like just as a, as a, as a person listening to this, like just to evaluate yourself, like what's the most important thing to you on a Sunday, mm-hmm. I guess, or, or what, you know, is it about your, what you're coming to receive from God? Oh, or is it about what you're coming to give, I guess, to the church? Yeah, maybe it's just like they were valuing. Because I mean, when I think about the, the the difference there, I think it's like one is one is valuing actually God, like in His character and who He is, and worship, versus valuing, you know, what you're talking about, like the serving, the giving, whatever else it is. It's like, yeah, those are those are those play a part in it, but you're not you're missing out on a chance to worship the the one true God and enjoy His presence because at the temple is the you know where His presence was resided then and so I think I think that's kind of how I yeah yeah 
Okay, let's move on. So You're not uh, making the main thing the main thing. The main thing the main thing. <laughs> uh, and in kind of an additional thought on that, he says they tithe grand, these spices. He names these like grand spices that they would give as part of their tithe, and yet they neglect justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And he equates this to, I believe, it's something like straining out a gnat and missing a camel. Like this thing is like the the justice and mercy and faithfulness are, are just so much more important than the things that you value and yet you don't you, you know you don't value these things like like god does basically essentially mm-hmm. yeah so i guess all in all why was jesus so harsh on the pharisees i think from my perspective i think they're just so rigid and so like stuck in their own ways that they weren't willing to recognize, hey, maybe like we have gone away from the, the teachings that God actually has for us. And in a lot of ways, like the church is, you know, as a whole, big, I'm talking big C church here, right? Like the church globally um, has had really dark times of getting so entrenched in their traditions or the things that they have believed for a long time that they kind of refuse to, to change or to grow, to learn. Um, and I think that's a, that's a growth area for all of us, whether you don't have to be like a pastor or someone, you know, that's a quote unquote religious leader today. If you're part of the church, like I think it's healthy for us to think about, you know, why do we believe the things that we believe? You don't have to constantly question it. I'm not saying that, but it's like, if someone challenges you and you immediately get defensive and it's like, your way is the only way. Why is that? Hmm. Why couldn't it be another way? Why couldn't, why, why don't we acknowledge that there might be things that we're wrong about? Yeah. I, I, it's, 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 I think there are things that are, I always think about the closed hand, open hand things. Like I think there's some closed hand things that are pretty true about what we, what we'd say are like the staples or the anchors of the faith. Sure. That I think is good to be like, uh, maybe hard line on or close handed on. Um, but I also think there, what I think what you're talking about, um, there's a lot of more, those are what we've called open handed issues where it's like, we could probably like, instead of, instead of maybe being argumentative, maybe going back to the, um, when the, when the person asks, uh, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus tells them that, um, the, great commandment and then uh or he asked him he asked him something and he says what's your reading of it and i love that idea of jesus saying what's your reading of it because i think it's it opens up a dialogue between two different people and two different parties where you could learn something more about god because usually what i think is if you hyper focus on a certain stance or, or position you're 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 elevating typically one characteristic of who god is as opposed to maybe having a more blended or more a fuller or wholer holistic picture of who God is. And so sometimes what happens is in the hyper-focus of our own traditions, our own upbringing, our own shaping, our own, you know, uh, personality styles, we can miss out on a greater picture of who God is. And so, yeah, I think knowing what are the, what are the tenets of the faith? Yeah. Like we believe in Jesus' death and resurrection. Like I'll argue that one, not like, but I'll also be kind in doing so. Um, but, um, but you know, worship preference or something else you know there's a lot of different things that that don't that aren't that don't need to be like i'm right this is the only way yeah right no i i get you and i i agree with that i think like i want to hit on one thing that you said there just like kind of going back to our podcast last week about like jesus asking that question back to the lawyer um 
like he could have just said, love God, love your neighbor. And like end of conversation, right? Like make a statement, answer the question, move on. But he asked a question back and gets the guy to think. And I think kind of what you're alluding to going back to like our podcast last week, like when you have conflict with someone like asking more questions and making statements is a helpful uh, kind of tool to use, which leads us to our next question or topic for, here for today is like, if we, we looked at conflict last week inside of our own church, what if we have conflict amongst the, the big C church? So if you think about like, I guess I was picturing this and maybe this isn't the right way to think about it, but I was picturing this as like if Jesus and the Pharisees were like two different denominations per se, and I understand that, like, obviously Jesus is right and the Pharisees were wrong in this case. And, like, that's not the point I want to make about, like, some denominations are right and some are wrong. That's that's not what I'm trying to say. But just basically that they are... Well, both... which ones are right and wrong, Jake? <laughs> <laughs> so basically what I was trying to say... Well... <laughs> Skip over that. Uh, but, what? yeah, so essentially, you know, they both believe in the same God, though, and they have different approaches, uh, and I think that's kind of the general like descriptions that I want to give them in, in the, that idea. And so uh, when we look at that, can we learn how to maybe have, um, you know, denomination to denomination or church to church conflict? How can we how can we deal with that? And um, I think Jesus does this in a, in a number of ways. But I want to point out uh, this first passage here comes from Matthew chapter 12. Uh, this is verses two through eight. It says this. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. They were, they're picking grain and eating it as they were walking. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So there's conflict here, right? You have one group who is doing something that another group thinks is wrong and dishonoring to God. Mm -hmm. I know that's never happened inside of Christianity. Never. Maybe in another religion there's different denominations, whatever. But Jesus, you know, he... I like the way that he approaches this. And I think we mentioned this a little bit last week as well, but like he goes straight to scripture, right? He goes straight to, well, what is, what does God say? What does God's word say? Um, and he mentions these two different instances where I don't know if necessarily like I would call it a loophole or that he, they've just found um, a way to, to kind of circumvent the, the teaching of the law. But Jesus clearly makes an indication that there are times when things can be bent. Is that appropriate? You know, in order for, um, you know, in, in order for the circumstances, whatever's happening. And so uh, I think there's just like reasonable human things. Sure. <laughs> like it's not the intent of the law. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Intent behind instead of like letter of. Right. Like right. That, that yeah. gets talked about a lot. Um, and so, yeah, imagine I don't even have any kind of like context for this, but imagine like the law. Of, we don't. OK, here in America, we don't really even acknowledge like we talk about Sabbath here. Um, but for the for the vast majority, even in church world, I would say in in the United States, like a Sabbath is just, you know, not even thought of as like possible right we don't take days off here in the states um, what's that about yeah no it's it's not healthy but um we have this you know 
you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get to work and have eight side hustles and, you know, make something of yourself. Like that's, that's kind of the mentality that we have here. And so that doesn't really allow for a Sabbath, but if we did (laughs) and, uh, you were to go out and, and, you know, pick some wild grain or, uh, there's actually a law that if you, uh, if a sojourner or if a traveler were coming through your field, there were certain, uh, parts of a field for the Israelites that were intentionally not harvested so that someone yep. who was traveling would have some grain that they could pick on their way. Yep. Which is really interesting. But so this part of the field, you know, maybe it's post harvest and it's actually intentionally been left out for travelers to eat from and the disciples are eating from it. And imagine someone coming up to you and saying this most basic human act of eating while you're hungry is actually like profaning God's name. There's some common sense there that just has been like removed, right? It's like the, the, what the law actually says is more important than like just kind of being human. Yeah. I think, I think the, the, yeah, it's just, it's just like you, when you fail to be human, is that, is that what God really desired for being set apart Mm. as opposed to, I'm going to practice this thing. And if I do it this right, like if I keep it this way, then everything like, then I'm, I, I am honoring honoring God. And I know some of the rule following black and white people are just freaking out right now. Well, I was going to ask you as a one on the Enneagram, are, do you have a hard time with that idea of like, I don't need to fall. I need to like, think about the intent and not just like the letter of the law. I think in general, I like to follow the rules. Um, I kind of, I was, I've been processing this lately with Cassidy is like, I kind of, I I don't even know if these are all biblical, but I kind of like live by rules, like unspoken rules. And every now and then I find one and I'm like, is that, I don't even know if that's right. And I'm trying to figure, you know what I mean? Like not, and again, I'm not talking about, I live by the scriptures, of course, but in general, like my upbringing, like I have stories that I tell myself of like, this is the, this is what success is. This is why you should do, you should do this way. This is why you should call someone at a certain, like, there's just these rules. Some of it's, some of it's like the, just the Southern culture ingrained into me that just, there's like these unspoken rules about Southern culture that you're like, that's a stupid rule. I don't know why. <laughs> like, who made that up? Right. But um, so I I like, you know, in general, this is a best practice, right? Uh-huh. Also, you resting is good. But uh, let's let's not take a food example. Let's take the, you know, let's say one of your animals is, is like about to die because they fell into something and you can save your animal. Mm-hmm. Like, do you not get a whole bunch of people and go fix it? Or your kid falls into a hole or something. It's like, oh, can't walk that far because I can't heal him. You know, like, what? Right. No, you go save your kid's life. Right. So, I, yeah, it's like the, the spirit of the law, you know. But because <laughs> really, yeah, I mean, really, G- Jesus isn't abolishing the law, but if you look at what he's already talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, like he's just giving. He, what God's really after the heart is what he's after, and then these laws were there to set them apart, and then not not to mention. Uh, other like in the Old Testament, people, uh, certain leaders and followers, they would add to the laws their own interpretation to them to make them even more serious. So um, I'm not too uncomfortable. Uh, I guess the better question, the harder question is like, so when do I know the difference? Is yeah. what the black and white person right. would say. And that's what I think one of the most amazing things about Jesus is 
how he holds on to these higher truths of loving God and loving your neighbor. Like it seems like he tries to really simplify it to be about those things, but he has a better grasp and a better understanding of all of the nuances of the laws of the old Testament than any of these religious leaders do. Now, obviously he, you know, is God and had a hand in creating the laws and the purpose behind them and all of that. But, uh, I just find that fascinating that he clearly has such a great understanding and yet focuses on, kind of these two simplified, you know, overarching, most important commandments, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, when we have, you know, debates church to church, we want to look at what scripture says. Uh, let's move on to another example here. This is the, actually, sorry, the next, uh, few verses here in that Matthew chapter 12, uh, passage, this is nine through 12. He went on from there and entered their synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Again, there's conflict here. They're trying to uh, say that this is what the law of the Sabbath says. And Jesus says, uh, and so that they might accuse him. Uh, he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep? This is basically the exact example. Do you read this ahead? You read ahead here. Uh, <laughs> if you have a sheep that falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. <laughs> I read the notes before we did this. <laughs> of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? And this kind of puts a bow on what we were talking about earlier. Maybe, maybe one of the ways that you know you were talking about when is it when is it what you know when can I take the letter of the law or when when is it about the intent? Uh, I do think it's interesting that Jesus focuses on like the care of people and what is like loving and caring for people, um, allowing his disciples to eat uh, on the Sabbath is kind of an you know I guess it's an act of care in a sense healing this man is an act of love and care what you're talking about with like your your child being in a ditch or you know sheep being in a hole or whatever it may be um, I think that that is one area where if you're like hey what is it the letter or is it the intent well which one's more caring and loving towards humans which one's more caring and loving towards people I think is a a general principle that I'm not, you know, there's exceptions to every rule, but I think that's maybe one way that you can make a, um, give yourself a, a, I guess another rule to follow when it comes to knowing the difference. I do think that makes sense. I think even just the, uh, so back to the great commandment, is this loving God with your whole self? Is this loving others? You know, cause in the, the, the law is fulfilled or, or, or is, is completed or in, in these two commandments. And so if you are a black and white person, um, th then you can use these as a benchmark too. If it's like, you know, this. I, I will say I'm not, we're not trying to give you like leverage to sin or trying to find loopholes in sinning. That's not the goal of this. It's just like, sometimes you can be so hard line and life is just so, it's just so much more complicated than, um, it's just so complicated, honestly. Like it's, it's intricate and nuanced and circumstances are different. And again, you know, there's things that you do, you know, if someone's, if someone's hungry, you feed them, right? Like if someone's hurt, you take care of them. Uh, it's like the, it's like, it is the parable, the parable of the prodigal, right? So, uh, the, the, not the prodigal, excuse me, the, uh, the, oh gosh, not the, the one, what's the next one where he goes into it? The guy that gets, uh, beaten up on the side of the road. What is that one? Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan, yeah. Yeah, it is. That's, it's that exact parable, though. It's like the, the reason why those religious leaders didn't do something is because they were either on their way to Jerusalem and they had spiritual responsibilities that they were supposed to take care of, and yet they ignored the simplicity of loving, like just loving someone. 
like they would have been maybe unclean and not be able to perform their duties because they were on their way to the temple to do something for their job. And yet a, di- a dude's dying in a ditch or on the side of the road and you're just going to walk on by like nothing's there. Like that's to follow the law. Right. To, you know what I mean? Like, so it's, it's, some of it's is very simple. Now, again, I think some, you could, some people could twist our words and say, we well, you know this is loving. And so therefore that, that allows me to ignore what I know to be true, what I know to be what God is telling me to do. That's not, that's not the intent of what I'm trying to say. So please don't change my words. But, um, yeah, so but I do think it's just following the intent of the law. Yeah, no, we'd have to do a whole other podcast series on what does love look like. And that <sighs> idea of like loving someone has been so twisted by inside the church and outside of the church. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, but I think, I think Jesus, again, he, this is what he says about the Pharisees, that they, and this is his critique of them, that they have neglected justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Yeah. You know, for but, the things that matter less. Yeah, because like they're... Yeah, it's not the things that they that matter less are bad. It's just that they've like justice is a higher thing, you know. Right. So, uh, if you look at the Leviticus nineteen passage where the love your neighbor comes from, most of it is about like taking care of your neighbor or taking care of the like the the foreigner. It's like it, it there are intentional things that are like gracious things, merciful things to do that would have been completely different than other societies in the world. Right. Yeah, not taking advantage of your entire harvest so that somebody walking by can have a meal. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's kind of move on to our last point here then. Uh, just kind of all of this comes to a head here in that, so if we have this conflict or if we are trying to pursue God inside of our own church, but we have conflict with another church, how do we, how do we not become so isolated and maybe entrenched in how we do things so that we don't become pharisaical in the sense of like our way or the highway and this is you know, the most important thing? Mm. I think, um, I think maybe, I mean, the word humility comes to mind, but just like a, a willingness to learn, like a, like a, uh, maybe a curiosity to learn. Um, because I, I think that's a, that's a huge, I, I think sometimes we get so ingrained in our own traditions that like we're, we're, we, we stop learning and stop being willing to think and to grow. And, you know, not to say again, like the, the tenets of the faith, those are, those are foundational things that it's like, okay, I know that's true. I can grow more in that. I can learn more. I'd like to know, learn perspectives in that, but, um, just a willingness to go to maybe even just like, I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Like it's possible that I could be wrong. Um, and I'm curious to know from other people, like what they think. I think, I think that, that kind of mindset of like, yeah, I want to, I want to continue to be a learner and I'm not going to assume that I, I I'm going to assume it's possible that I'm wrong. Yeah. I think I'm right because I just think I am. <laughs> That's uh, just... If you didn't think you were right, then you should change your mind. <laughs> right. Yeah. You should, then you should figure out what you do think is right. Right. But, uh, but I do think like, you know, like where I think about stuff, I, not, I'm not trying to be arrogant, but I do think I'm right. But I do think I'm also like, oh, I want to learn from you, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, essentially everyone thinks that they're right. That's why they think that. But, right. Yeah. Because. Um, yeah. Or uh, they've defaulted into it, and they they might not say they think they're right, they're, they're right, but their actions would speak that they think they're right. 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 Yeah. Well, I think Jesus puts this in perspective for us in Matthew 15. It says this. Uh, this is verses one through six. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. 
He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God, he needs not honor his father. For the sake of your tradition you have made the void the word of God. Which this is like interesting. I think I don't know that Jesus' intention here is to point out like anybody that doesn't honor their father and mother should be put to death. It's more so just the like the hip the hypocrisy of holding their tradition ahead of like what maybe like they pick and choose, you know, what they want what they want to get really serious about or what they really want to nitpick about. Um, would you agree with that uh, assessment? It's like cherry picking the laws that you really care about, right? But we know those people, right? Like, right, yeah, cherry picking the things that really matter to you. And and, and I, actually, I'm glad that you put it that way because this is something that I think is actually really important. If you do think those things, like the things that are really important to you, I think there's a pretty decent chance that God wired you to st- to be really passionate about those things. For sure, yeah. Uh, and you should pursue doing something about them. Yeah, like that's like the we would teach that that's like where God wants you to maybe spend some of your missional equity time, you know? Correct. Correct. But yeah. here's where the humility piece comes in. That's not that might not be the same level of passion and care that someone else has for that thing. And they might see it a little bit differently than you do. And yeah, but I think I'll, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> uh oh, and I just think that like we should have that in mind that just because we're super passionate about it and we have a very, you know, uh, strict this is the way it is and we get so hyper focused on like this is what needs to be and we need to talk about this all the time and we need to be about this, like that might not be how everyone sees it. Right. And like understanding that there is uh, a number of things that all of us can be hyper focused on. And that's just not how God designed the whole church to operate. He designed you to operate that way and to see those things and to do something about them. But we're not all wired that way. Yeah. And I think the, and the reason why is because there's a vast, the world is vast and God, uh, as Corinthians talks about how we're like uses different body parts to describe different, we're different body parts in the body of Christ. And your passion is a necessity as a huge part of the body and someone else's passion is a huge part of the body, which fulfills the mission of God to reach the masses, mm-hmm. as opposed to saying like we it's all hyper focused on this one idea or this one thing. So, um, yeah. But I do think I mean I do think some you know there's different different communities cherry pick different things, and it's not just all legalistic stuff. It's not all just like theological stuff. I think um, I do think sometimes you can you can hyper focus on. Uh, even the mission of God, like where you, you forget to like actually worship or you forget to, to care about truth. Uh, you can hyper-focus on spiritual giftings and, and really just all you want to do is just care about, you know, if you're more in charismatic circles, like the supernatural and, and those things, as opposed to, uh, like actually worshiping the, the one, the giver of the gifts. Uh, you can hyper-focus on theology. You can hyper-focus on a, a sect of theology. You can hyper-focus on uh, a, a translation of the Bible. You can hyper-focus on. Um, you can hyper-focus on uh, the who, way a church service should work. Yeah, who we should and shouldn't interact with. Who we should and shouldn't interact with. Uh, you can hyper-focus on uh, the way a kids ministry should operate. You could, you, you know, and so it's and 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 maybe you hyper-focus on it in your context, but it's like to say that this is the only way. Um, when I was, when I was younger, I was a part of, uh, I grew up at a church. I was there for 
about 2020 or so. We went started going out like four or five. I went back to where I worked after college, and I thought that this was the only way to do student ministry, and it was it was a, it was successful. Like you know, when I started, it was like 40 people, and then the church grew, and then, you know, by the time I was when I was working out of college. Or it was, you know, we had about a thousand kids that were coming on a, on a, on a regular basis. So this is the way because bigger is better. And like clearly this growth and it, and they weren't doing bad things. They were doing discipleship and they were doing all this other stuff. And, um, this, I met with this guy I used to work for, and he just told me, uh, he just said ministry has a shelf life and every, every ministry has a shelf life. Uh, like if you think about like food on your pantry door, you know, in your pantry, like it'll expire eventually. And he's like, you know, most churches or all churches that, that have started, they've eventually shut down. Maybe they had a thing that worked really well in the medieval church that didn't work in the Reformation church that didn't work in the, you know, the 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 the, the, the revivals that happened in the in the eighteen hundreds in the U.S. But like, you know, there's ways and methods, but they don't always work in every context, and that's okay. That's just how God's wired it, and it's okay that it, it's good that it works in this context, but it doesn't always transcend. To other things, not the gospel transcends everything, but methods, ideologies, some of that stuff can fall to the wayside, uh, and sometimes we hold on to those things um, way more than we actually hold on to the the one true thing. Yeah, absolutely. As you were saying all that, I was thinking like when we were coming up with the vision for Mission City, and there was a part of me in the back of my mind, like even now as you're talking, I'm like, why does every church have a different vision or like a vision statement? You know. In theory, shouldn't they all be the same? But that, to me, speaks to what you were just talking about, about how it's not necessarily, you know, they might have hyper-focus on something. That's not necessarily wrong if that's the way God has wired your church and the the place that he's brought you to. Like, there are organizations that focus on specific things. I think of, like, like an FCA or something. They're obviously very focused on uh, the lost in middle school and high school students and trying to bring them in through athletics or, you know, early, early, um, you know, before school kind of club type deal. Like that's their niche. That's what they go for. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and so, uh, I want to be very clear that like, again, we're not saying that having that kind of hyper-focus is necessarily wrong. It's more so the humility of saying my tradition does not supersede the mission of God. And I don't want to look at another church that does something differently than me and go, well, they must be wrong because they, they focus on something else than what we focus on. It's like, well, you're both just doing what you feel passionate about, which is actually where God has led you and how he's wired you and the place that he's brought you to. And we can actually celebrate that together. I know that's weird for churches to celebrate what other churches are doing, but that's what we should do. And that's what we can do. And, and you know, to see that as beautiful picture of God's people across the world, um, I think is is much better than taking so much time to critique every other church and if they're doing things the right way or if they're doing things how you would do them. Yeah, I think um, there's a book that I read before we planted. It's called Church Unique. And so it's like basically like finding your unique purpose and calling. And so all churches should have the same, for the most part, I mean, it's basically the same vision, right? It's all about making Jesus known. This is ours. <laughs> but it, I mean, it is though, like, right? Like, you know, the, there's some nuances to it, but like, you know, you're, you're basically you know, your the goal is to glorify God and to teach people to enjoy him and to be his witnesses to the world and to be a gathering group of believers who, you know, do those things together. And so 
that's all the same, but the expression of that and the uniqueness of it, there is diversity in how that can play out. And so, um, so yeah, so. Perfect. Um, well, I think that's probably, I think we've probably kind of put a good uh, idea to what it looks like for Jesus, to how he related to the religious leaders and how we might learn how to relate to churches across the world. Is there anything else that you want to say before we wrap up here, Russell? Cool. Well, just in recap, so here's kind of what we have gathered from what Jesus taught, um, that we should not hold tradition over who God is and what his word says, that when we do have disagreements, we should go to scripture, uh, that Jesus wants us to look at the intention of the law and not just the letter of it. And when we don't know which one to follow, we should lean into what looks like loving people and loving God, as he called those the greatest of his commandments. And we can learn from the mistakes of the Pharisees that they neglected justice and mercy and faithfulness for the smallest of details and nuances and laws that they added in their own tradition. And we should have humility to see ourselves as maybe being wrong and maybe the traditions that we have are not right and, and that we should um, you know, continue to grow and learn about God and that uh, even if we focus on something or something's very important to us, uh, it doesn't mean that it has to be important, the most important thing to everyone, that we can have humility to say, this is my lane and that's your lane and I can celebrate my lane and what I'm doing here and I can celebrate you and your lane and what you're doing there. Uh, as Paul would put it, as long as the gospel is preached, we will celebrate the work that is being done. And so uh, we love you guys. Thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Mission City Church podcast. We'll be back next week to talk about our next group, our next uh, sect of friends of Jesus. See you then. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mission City Church podcast. Mission City Church is a non-denominational church in Mission, Kansas. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Merriam Community Center off Slater Street between Johnson Drive and Shawnee Mission Parkway. We also have five community groups that meet throughout the KC Metro. If you live in the Kansas City area and would like more information, please visit our website at missioncitykc.com or send me an email at jake at missioncitykc.com.